Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Internet's favorite show about plastic surgery, health, and beauty. This is Nip Talk. On today's episode, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We're going to go over all the latest data on breast cancer so that you know all about it. Then, lunchtime liposuction. Is it glam or is it a scam? We're going to find out. And then finally, I got a cool case of a sternal wound that I had to come in and fix with some neat video and pictures, and it's all coming up right now. Live from Lincoln Center in the heart of the Dallas Metroplex, this is Nip Talk an honest and uncensored show about plastic surgery, health, beauty, and lifestyle with your host, plastic surgeon, Dr. Bruce Herman, and your co-host, entrepreneur and social media influencer, Sarah Bennett. Now it's time to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the topics everyone is talking about. It's time for Nip Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really, really do appreciate it. Please hit that like and subscribe button and leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. I'm your host, plastic surgeon, Dr. Bruce Herman. With me always is the wonderful Sarah Hi. and her awesome shirt, which I love, by the way, with Thank your you. fall colors. <laughs> Spectacular. In the box, Travis, what's up, man? How you doing today? I'm good. How about you? Good. It's a happy Friday. Yeah. It's always a good day we're on the show because it's Friday. It's Friday the 13th, too. Oh, I know, right? Are you guys superstitious at all? Kind of, sort of. Really? Yeah, I can say that. Yeah, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. Me too. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it, but it's fun to think it is. Yeah, I know. It is kind of fun. So yeah, uh, yeah, I actually forgot that it was Friday the 13th. I... Yeah, there's um, at Legacy West or East or wherever, there's like a Halloween uh, oh, is there? bar crawl. Oh, bar crawl. You know, I'm a fan of a good bar crawl. I know. That's you were like, let's <laughs> that's how we this. met. <laughs> yeah. So it nice. looks fun. Are you going to go? I don't know. Maybe. I sent it to our friends, our beer friends. Oh, you did? Did they respond? I don't know yet. You know, we actually were looking for something to do tonight. We'll have to talk after this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Travis Bar Crawl, you ready, buddy? Oh, uh, let's do it. Oh, really? Even though I don't drink, let's do it. Oh, you don't drink? I'll just, I'll I did not it. know that about you, Travis. I'm so square when it comes to that type of stuff, bro. Really? Like, I, I drink like a Sprite. I go to that, the bar. Good. So then you can take care of me. You can All drink right, like a sure. fake a fake beer. I have a friend that drinks a lot of those those near, near, near beer beers. fake beers. Yeah. Oh, really? I yeah, just so you can like, you know, act Travis like. is like, I'll have a lemonade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Sarah, didn't you go on some big camp out last week? I did. With I took Avery camping to Sam Houston National Forest, which is in Texas. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, it's uh, near Huntsville. Oh, okay, Huntsville. How was it? Um, it was really fun. It was a pretty simple trip. It was just like one night. Oh, and, one night. Okay. Yeah, um, I actually got to. Um, take her cousin which is obviously my niece so it was really nice so fun yeah. you guys so we like you were in the sleeping bags under the stars right or do you have 10 or i have a tent on oh, top of my car oh that's right i always forget that yeah so they were all excited they were like well, it's like we're in a tree house and i was like Aww. kind of that's so cool so we just went on a couple of hikes it was really funny fun stuff like just they're like so what are we gonna do i was like we're gonna go for a walk yeah. And they're like, do outside stuff. Oh, okay. And so we're like, <laughs> they're just walking and they probably have never walked that much. Like, right. <laughs> they're like worn out. But they didn't know. They just thought it was like fun. I was like, yeah, yeah this is why Aww. things like this exist. That's so cool. Those are good, good memories. Yeah. They had fun. I am actually leaving next weekend, uh, doing a motorcycle trip to Arkansas. Um, and I may, I'm thinking about taking my daughter. She really wants to go. Um, I've taken her on trips before, but I don't know. It's with like my motorcycle gang yeah. that i'm in they're not really a gang it's um, just old guys um but yeah i don't know i may take her i'm still like on the fence about it she really wants to go and guys trip versus 
Yeah, I mean, they're all like, you know, older, so it's not like a guy's trip where everybody's yeah. like out drinking and partying. Like, we what's have that, dinner. What's that old, sh what's that show about boss hogs or something? Oh, oh, the... I know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, wild hogs? Yes. Wild hogs. It's like that, but older. It's like geriatric <laughs> wild hog. I'm like the youngest guy by like quite a bit, so. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to take some pictures, but it should be good, so. I'm going camping again. I know, yeah. Too. I know. Awesome. I want to hear all about it. We'll have stories to tell when we get back. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so you know, guys, that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I almost yeah. forgot, like, because uh, I was getting up segments, like, oh my gosh, I, it's breast cancer. Yeah, tomorrow I'm okay. doing like a breast cancer awareness like workout at my CrossFit Are you? gym. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's so great. We all wear pink and stuff. Nice. Well, uh, I actually have a lot of experience with breast cancer. Uh, and before plastic surgery, I was in general surgery where we treated the cancer patients. And then, of course, once I got into plastics. For many, many years, I did lots and lots of breast reconstruction surgeries. So uh, I have a pretty good experience um, with these patients. And I try to keep up speed on it because I still do a little bit of that. So I just kind of want to go over some of the new data on this. Uh, because, you know, the one thing I would say about breast cancer uh, that's probably like the biggest take home I could tell people is that if you detect it early, it's absolutely curable. And I know this just from the data and from my experience uh, treating, you know, hundreds and hundreds of patients. So, you know, as, as of all things, like knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So I just want to come over some of the stats. And, and every time I read them, it's kind of surprising. So every year, there's 300,000 new cases of breast cancer diagnosed. That's pretty crazy. That's a pretty big number. And that's just the United States. That's not worldwide. Right. Um, in that, every year, there's actually 44,000 deaths, um, which is the... Uh, second leading cause of, of death in women um, behind heart disease. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big it's deal. It's a huge number. Um, the average age of diagnosis, uh, 62. So it definitely mm -hmm. is a disease. My that grandma was diagnosed around that time. In the 60s? Uh, probably 70s. Yeah. That's important to know as a woman, if you have family members that have breast cancer yeah. when they were diagnosed, because you know, younger diagnoses are generally more concerning mm -hmm. and it kind of plays into when you should start to do um, precautionary uh, screenings and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, breast cancer under the age of 45 years old is, is very rare, uh, with the one exception being BRCA, which is that uh, breast cancer that comes from the, um, from the gene issue. And we'll talk mm -hmm. about that. Lifetime risk for breast cancer for women, 13%, one in eight. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty big thing. I, I, I've heard a stat that like, Pretty much everyone in the United States knows or has a family member that's had breast cancer. Yeah. Not quite everyone, but, but pretty close. Um, so when you talk about breast cancer, it's, it's good to know like the different types of it. And it could get confusing really quickly about this. So I'm just going to kind of do some broad strokes. When they talk about in situ versus invasive, that, that is talking about whether or not the cancer is just very, very like brand new versus it's actually starting to spread in its location. Not like all throughout the body. So you'll hear the words in situ, which is really, really good. That means it's super early or invasive. That's kind of the more common one because that's usually when you can pick it up a little bit easier. Right. Um, then they talk about the different subtypes. So you'll hear the words ductal, which is the most common type of breast cancer, lobular, and then the a more rare ones, inflammatory. Um, and I, I have a little graphic, which actually is kind of interesting to see. It's just a little drawing of the breast. And so when you hear about things like ductal, so if you look at the one on the right, you'll see nipple areola and then ducts. And so the ducts are basically the channels that go from the milk lobules out to the nipple. So when you hear of ductal breast cancer, that is a cancer in the cells that line those ducts versus lobular cancer, which actually uh, pops up in the lobules themselves. Okay. And so it's kind of, you know, just interesting to kind of see it as a visual graphic because I can say these words ductal and lobule and to a lot of people that's just, you know, black box words. But mm -hmm. seeing a picture actually kind of makes it a little bit more 
um, easier to kind of digest. Other things you'll hear about breast cancer is you'll hear the word triple negative thrown around. So when they take out a breast cancer, the owls will run some tests on it to see what kind of markers there are in it, which will determine how aggressive it is. So triple negative is, is bad, and that means it's negative for estrogen receptors, progesterone receptors, and negative for creation of HER2, which is protein. Now, don't get too in the weeds of this. All it means is when those things are negative, the, the prognosis is, is worse. Okay. So you want, you, triple negative is something that you, you don't want to have. And, and of note, um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, this in a second when it comes to uh, risk factors, uh, actually, uh, African-Americans have a higher rate of triple negative cancers, um, which is something genetic. Um, they just, they ha it's, it's not like a huge number. I think the average rate for triple negatives is like 15% mm -hmm. across the board, but um, African-American women, it's that's, actually around 20%. That's interesting that they, whenever they are describing like if, if it is dangerous, they call it negative whenever something's yeah. tested. Oh my God. Usually it, it's positive. It gets so confusing, right? And you ever seen those yeah. shows where like the, the comedy shows where like they say, oh, your, your biopsy was negative. And they're like, oh my God, that's so bad. And they're like, no, no, that's good. Yeah. So negative is good in a lot of connotations, yeah. but in this connotation, it's actually bad. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of funny. Uh, risk factors. Um, so obviously being female, there is male breast cancer. It's, it's yeah. much, much less prevalent, but there is male breast cancer. But of course, female increasing age, yes. you know, as we get older, the risk of breast cancer uh, gets higher. Uh, certain genes, and we'll talk just briefly about BRCA. I think I have like a little thing I'm going to say. Yeah, have you ever heard the word BRCA? BRCA? It sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. we'll go over it. Uh, family history, of course, is important. If you have family members that have breast cancer, then you're more at risk. Personal history, if you have breast cancer on one side and you decide not to do mastectomies and you still have breast tissue, your risk of getting a second cancer mm -hmm. is higher than the average. Um, race, actually, Caucasian women have the highest rate of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, I think Caucasian is the highest. Then Hispanics, Asians, uh, Native Americans are kind of in the middle. Uh, African Americans have a lower rate overall of breast yeah. cancer, but they tend to have worse breast cancers. Okay. So it's just good to know these things. Um, oddly enough, taller people, taller people have a higher rate. And this is not a huge difference, but it is a well, little bit. I guess I'm little sick. You're good. Yeah, you're good. Uh, denser breast tissue. So obviously breasts can be, you know, more fatty or more dense, which is fibrous. Dense breast tissue is a little bit higher. Uh, when you have your menstrual cycles, if you, if you have your first menstrual cycle early versus late, it's a higher risk. And also when you go through menopause, if you have a later menopause, then it's a higher risk. And then there's the factors. That, so those are all factors you can't really control, right? You can't control what race you are. You can't control how tall you are or, you know, how old yeah. you are. But there are factors that you can control. Um, and I didn't know this one. Actually, uh, heavy alcohol use has a pretty significant increase in the risk. So if, if, there, if you're a woman and you drink multiple drinks of alcohol every day, okay. then your rate, your risk of breast cancer goes up about 20% versus someone who doesn't. That's, that's pretty, pretty significant. Um, obese. Mm -hmm. But only if you're obese after menopause. Like, they've broken this down into just crazy statistics. So if you're obese before menopause, it doesn't really increase your risk of breast cancer. But after menopause, it does. Okay. Not 100% sure why that one is, although I probably should know. I could look it up. A sedentary lifestyle. So if you work yeah. out a lot, that's protective. Yes. So you can control that. That's good. I'm like, um, I don't know about the check mark on the drinking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't drink that <laughs> we'll much. Put, we'll, we'll put a pin on that when we come yeah. back to it. Um, if you don't have kids, actually okay. having pregnancies decreases your risk yeah, of breast and cancer. Yeah, breastfeeding. That's exactly right. Sarah, look at you. Gold star today. Um, 
Oral contraceptives are kind of a question mark. Some studies say that they give you a slightly increased risk if you take birth control. Others say it's not as big of a deal. And then smoking. Yes. I'd always heard that smoking increases your, it does increase your risk of cancer for yes. sure and heart disease and a lot of other things. But specific to breast cancer, it's a little bit of a question mark. So as I was saying earlier, if the biggest take home with breast cancer is that it is very curable when you get it early. Mm -hmm. And in order to catch it early, screening is very, very important. Yeah, so go to your OBGYN once a year and they'll fill you up a little bit. But So that's that. actually interesting you say that. So uh, we'll actually go to that one first. So breast exams. Yeah. So you always heard, and I always heard, you know, in I'd say the little bit more distant past, the breast exams are so important, so important, so important. So now after decades of research, they actually have found that self-breast exams don't really improve outcomes or increase the detection of early yeah. cancers. The thing is, is that you wanna catch breast cancers early and generally by the time you can feel it, that's not good. Mm -hmm. You know, that means it's more advanced. Um, of course, you know, the, and I was pulling this from um, the American Cancer Society. Although they don't necessarily recommend that people do routine breast exams, which was a thing when I, you know, actually started medicine, that was like really common in the doctor's office. They don't necessarily recommend that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, routine breast exams by your, your personal ones, they say that that's not necessarily recommended anymore, but they always say that it's not a bad idea. So they yeah. say that the research shows it doesn't change a whole lot, but it's still a good idea to do it. But the big one is mammograms. Okay. Mammograms are very, very, very good at picking up cancers and picking it up very, very early. So the obvious question is, when do you start? So the current recommendations are that if you're between 40 and 44 years old, that it's optional. Meaning if you want to go get it done, they'll let you do it, um, but it's not an absolute necessity. At age 45 is when you should start your, your yeah, annual mammograms. I'll definitely opt to doing it at 40. Yeah, because but, you, yeah, my grandma had right. it. So now this is for a person of average risk. Yeah. If you're high risk, uh, so say for example, like you have family members that have BRCA positive, or you're BRCA positive yourself. Usually, if you have members, if you have family members that are known to be BRCA positive, you get tested because you want to know if you have that. Because and we'll talk about BRCA in a minute, but it's not good. Um, if you're high risk, meaning maybe you have you know a fair number of family members that have it, then the recommendation is to actually start at 30 years old. Hmm. and to get a breast MRI and a mammogram annually. So that's, that's pretty aggressive as far as the, the screening. Now we've been talking about BRCA. So BRCA1 and 2 are actually genes in our body, and the genes actually repair damaged DNA. So when, you, when you're said to be BRCA positive, what it means is that your repair genes, which fix your DNA, don't function correctly. And so that's obviously a bad thing because cancer generally arises when there's some sort of issue or error in your DNA code. Yeah. And so when those genes aren't working, bad things happen. And I can't stress enough how important that is. I mean, having done uh, breast reconstruction for many, many years, all of like the, the worst outcomes I can remember, like with patients, almost all of them were BRCA positive. Mm. Um, they, the cancers tend to be much, much more aggressive okay. and they tend to hit much, much earlier. Um, and it's not uncommon for women in their 30s to get diagnosed with breast cancer if they're BRCA positive. So uh, what do you do? Well, it, it's a lot of like knowing your family history. If you have family members that got breast cancer super early, then you- That's like a good sign. It, it could be, you know, if you have, like say you have a, a grandmother and a mom who got breast cancer at 35, you should absolutely go get tested for BRCA. Mm -hmm. Because if you have it, your chance of getting cancer by the time you're 80 is 70%. It's not 100%, but it's pretty close. I wonder if ancestry DNA tells you that stuff. That's a good question. I don't 
know if they actually look at that kind of stuff. Yeah, because they, like, they tell you all kinds of stuff. They like told me that I had the sprinter gene, which is like you're genetically like really? more prone to be a sprinter? Uh, athlete, athletic. Really? Yeah. Which turned out to be true. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to, but I think I may have to go look that up. Yeah. Interesting. Let me ask you this, Dr. Herman. You got um, it. What's up, Charles? So my mom had breast cancer. Okay. Um, as a man, it's, it's not as common in men to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, these statistics, do they still, like, uh, are they still, like, accurate for, like, males? For men? Mm -hmm. No, man, it, breast cancer is so rare in men that there's not generally a recommended screening for it. Like, if, if, for example, if you had, if your dad or your brother got breast cancer, I would probably go and talk to somebody and say, hey, what is the proper screening? Which I don't personally even know because it's just that rare. I've, I've never actually, knock on wood, met anybody that's had male breast cancer. Um, and and that would be something I might see just you know through all the doctors that I work with that do treat cancer. Um, but yeah, it's pretty rare. So like if, for example, my mom had breast cancer, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be you know super concerned about myself getting it. Yeah. Um, now, if she was like BRCA positive or something, then I might worry about, you know, did I pass that on to my daughter or something? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, Travis, I, I wouldn't stress too much about that. I, Makes sense. You know, um, if, she, if she had gotten it super early, then it might be worth, you know, investigating. But, um, you know, if she got a kind of normal stage in life, I, I, I don't think that you have to worry too much. Makes sense. Yeah. I got you. So uh, moving on to treatment, and we could talk for an hour just on the treatment of breast cancer alone. So I'm going to kind of put this in a nutshell. The two kind of basic thought processes for treating breast cancer is you take out a lump of breast tissue. Okay. So you don't take out the whole breast, but you take out a lump. If you do that, though, you have to get radiation. So it's called a lumpectomy plus radiation versus doing a mastectomy, which is taking out the whole breast. Now, it gets really kind of convoluted after that because if you're going to do a mastectomy, do you do one? Do you do both? Sometimes when you get a mastectomy, if the diagnosis is not necessarily favorable, they'll end up doing radiation anyway. Then there's a lot of adjuvant therapies like chemotherapy, which you hear about all the time, hormone therapy, immunotherapy, and targeted drug therapy. It, it gets very complicated mm -hmm. very quickly. But the kind of the take home like for a patient is like, okay, am I going to get a, a lumpectomy where they save most of my breast, but then I'm going to have to get radiation for sure, or do I go for the mastectomy? Yeah. And all the data shows, at least the last time I, I did a deep dive in it, that those two options are pretty comparable. Mm -hmm. It's funny, like having been in medicine now for like a couple decades, I've seen that I've seen the trends change. Like for a while, it was everyone's getting a lumpectomy, then everyone's getting a mastectomy, and then it's back to lumpectomy. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, talking to your cancer surgeon is is the best way to kind of figure that out for each individual patient. Yeah. Get the pros and cons. So yeah, my my grandma did mastectomy, but I don't. I was so young, I don't know yeah. what the if she did in anything else. Yeah. But. Finally, uh, well, not finally, but uh, kind of moving on. Prognosis. As I said, if you pick these things up early, it is absolutely curable, and, and most people go on to live full, full lives. Um, the kind of latest breakdown, the way they break it down, is if it's localized, which means it's just right in the breast. It hasn't gone anywhere even in around the breast, like lymph nodes. Five-year survival rate, 99%. You pick it up early, the five-year survival rate is 99%. That's yeah. really good odds. Regional means that if it gets to like a lymph node or to further reaches out in your breast, starts to drop, five-year survival rate, 86%. So it goes down a little bit. If it's distant, meaning you catch it really, really late so that there's actually mm -hmm. cancer spread out, five-year survival rate, 30%. So those statistics just reinforce the fact that if early. You, yeah, you want to catch breast cancer early. It's so important. Lastly, my part, reconstruction. Um, just know that when it comes from the reconstruction standpoint, and, and like I said, we could do a whole hour about that, 
There are methods out there, and I've done these myself. I have actually a book in my office of women that have had complete mastectomies and have reconstructions that look like breast augmentations. Mm -hmm. The technology has gotten really, really, really good. And so there's a lot of different options out there. As I've said on, on previous shows, I'm not a fan of the deep flap, which is kind of like the thing that got popular for a while, though now it's starting to get less popular. Um, I usually do the expander to implants. Um, there are times when flaps are better, like patients who are a little bit heavier. Mm -hmm. um, but all of that did being... You, I think you, you did a segment on that before, right? Yeah, okay. yeah we've talked about that. Um, all that being said, uh, you know, in the past, like, so when I started, you know, over well, 20 years ago, reconstruction was not great. You know, you just kind of got something so that people could wear a bra and not look, you know, deformed. Nowadays, it's completely different. I mean, mm -hmm. you, get, you get reconstructions that look cosmetic, so... Anyway, but yeah, take home on this, you know, just be knowledgeable about, about breast cancer, what the risk factors are, and get your screenings. It is so, so important. So, all right. If you have questions about breast cancer, please leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. All right. I'm going to have to ask you guys a question. Have you ever seen ads or anything uh, related to lunchtime liposuction? No. No? Mm, I have not. Oh, you haven't? I okay. Have not. So I've seen this pop up a couple times, and maybe it's just because of the things that I follow. It may be, you know, the big brother showing me stuff that I, you know, showing me stuff that I look up a lot, which is plastic surgery. Yeah. So I kept seeing this thing about lunchtime liposuction, and so I was like, "What Ew. is this? Is this? Oh yeah, that's actually. So that's actually a patient that I I did. That's liposuction. That's a fat. It looks that like I, it looks like really creepy, weird boba tea. That's pretty gross. Yeah. No, that's actually fat that I sucked out. Yeah. That's actually a lot too. I, I did that like a long time ago. But I remember that. Oh, that's this, a, it's the, it's the straw looking thing. It's that's like, the, uh, so the suction tubing goes on top of that. Yeah. It's not like I a know, straw. But it looks like a drink. Oh, it looks like a drink. Yeah. Ugh. No, that's, Halloween that's pretty drink. awful. <laughs> Halloween drink. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about lunchtime luxury suction because I've seen some ads about this and this is my wheelhouse, you know, as I've told yes. you guys before. After plastic surgery, I did a fellowship in uh, cosmetic breast and body surgery. I do tons of liposuction, love it, great surgery. So when I started looking into this, I was like, what do they mean by lunchtime liposuction? I quickly found that there's not really a consensus for what lunchtime liposuction means. It really depends on who's throwing it out there. Like Sounds who's... like sketch. It is sketch. I, I agree with you. And okay. you know, I, I'm kind of a purist. I hate gimmicky things about plastic surgery like gimmicky, gimmicky marketing stuff. And I, and I hate stuff that like kind of downplays seriousness of surgery. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is that. So I'm, I'm not really like a huge fan of this whole idea of lunchtime liposuction, but I want to educate people so they at least know what it is. Um, so when I started looking at these different web pages, as I said, what actually lunchtime liposuction meant depended on what side I was looking at. So I'm going to go through the, all of the different things that they said is considered lunchtime liposuction. But you all hear right. these buzzwords like general anesthesia is unnecessary. Yes. There's no incisions, no downtime, fast recovery. You can drive yourself to come get it. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of like, well, that, that once again sounds kind of gimmicky. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we do marketing, but I don't know. I just, I feel that you don't want to trick people into having something. Like yeah. every procedure is serious business and you need to like go in knowing exactly what it is and not... Is you know, it like that that um, clip you showed us of that lady who was giving, or somebody who was giving liposuction to people, or doing some type of surgery where they're like awake? Wide awake surgery? Yes. Okay, so that is one of them. Yeah, very good. Ugh. 
Yeah, excellent. Okay, so I broke these down into two groups. So after looking at all these different, you know, people who are advertising lunchtime liposuction, it kind of broke down into like the non-invasive type treatments and the invasive treatments. Okay. So, um, and a lot of the places that are talking about the non-invasives are actually those plastic surgery mills that we always talk about, you know, mm -hmm. which I am not a huge fan of. Um, so in it's Florida? kind of... Uh, huh? I said in Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> sure lunchtime liposuction is huge in Florida. Or in like Hollywood, Oh, California big time. Yeah. So like the non-invasive lunchtime liposuction included things like cryolipolysis. So remember cool sculpting? We talked about that one time. Injection lipolysis, you hear the word kybella a lot. So that's an injection that goes in and dissolves fat. Radiofrequency lipolysis, which is like M-sculpt, which I've, I've been kicking around the idea of getting an M-sculpt machine. Of the ones out there like that, I kind of like that one the best. And the other one is uh, laser lipolysis, so smart lipo. Mm -hmm. I think you even mentioned the smart lipo. Is like, I think you asked, what is that? But that's not like really somebody like sucking Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's not really liposuction. Yeah. It's a non-invasive fat-removing machine of some okay. sort based on those four things. So that's almost like false advertising because, and the reason I say that is I make a very clear distinction between liposuction, which is literally the gold standard for moving fat. It's literally the best way, hands down, to remove fat is to do liposuction, but it's surgery, so you have to take that into account. So claiming that these things are as good as liposuction is a little, it's a little shady or a little misleading. Um, so the other ones, people were actually talking about more invasive things, um, things where you would make incisions, normal liposuction, but done under local. Okay. And that's how they were saying it was lunchtime liposuction. So instead of going to a surgery facility and going under anesthesia and getting liposuction, which is kind of the way I prefer to do these things by far, you go to a doctor's office, they you know give you some numbing medication, and they do it while you're completely awake, just like yeah. that video that we watched. And so... You know, to, to say that's lunchtime liposuction is not really even accurate because you're still getting liposuction, so you still have all the recovery of the surgery. Like, you can't go and do that and go back to work. That's insane. So, I, honestly, all these things that say lunchtime liposuction, it's all kind of BS. Like, it's, yeah. just, it's just a gimmick. And so, you know, when it comes to doing liposuction, you know, under local, I've actually done that. Uh, I do have the machine and the tools and a room to do it in, in my office. And I've done it a few times. Um, there are some definite downsides to doing liposuction under local. You know, number one, you have to do a lot of injections. Because okay. if you're asleep, I can get in there and I can liposuction you really hard. And I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to hurt you because you're asleep and you have all this pain medication. When you're wide awake, it's a completely different story. You yeah. have to get perfect local anesthesia in order for someone to tolerate this and if they're not tolerating then it becomes unsafe because you have a patient that's moving while you're using that metal rod you can end up injuring them mm -hmm. and so you know i was able to do it fine i was able to you know get the numbing in it's kind of a process because you have to do a little bit of numbing to then do like a bigger set of numbing yeah. and it takes it takes a fair amount of time but the, the issues that I bumped into is that in order to get that perfect anesthetic where one, you felt like the patient isn't getting tortured, and two, that you feel like it's safe, you are using a lot of numbing medication. And there is a limit to how much numbing medication you can take safely. Yeah. You know, the numbing medication, as the levels of that start to get higher in your bloodstream, it starts to give some pretty negative effects. The first is like you get a feeling like you're drunk. Yeah. You know, you get this kind of like lightheaded and you know maybe you're acting like you've had a couple drinks but then as that level starts to get higher from there it gets actually dangerous and you right. can get into 
arrhythmias of your heart. And uh -huh. if, if you give too much, you can actually die from it. And I know for a fact that when I've been reviewing bad outcomes in plastic surgery, I know for a fact that some of those are due to people getting surgery in an office setting and they get a toxic dose of lidocaine or those other um, anesthetics and bad things happen. Right. And so, you know, I never had a bad outcome in all the ones I've done. I was very, very selective, meaning if somebody came in, they said, I want a liposuction in my tummy and my flanks. I'm like, no, absolutely not. There's no way we can do that. I would only do it if it was a small area. Okay. Um, and I even had one patient that we, we did it and, you know, we know exactly how much lidocaine we can give safely because you can calculate that based on body weight. It's yeah. easy to do. And we had done one side and I'd used kind of like three quarters of what I thought was safe. And mm -hmm. I actually told her, I was like, look, you know, you needed more pain medication than normal. We're going to have to have you come back the next day to finish. And of course, she was cool with that because it's safety and we're, you know, doing safe things. Right. But those are the things you bump into when you start to do things in the office. And, and yeah, you can do it safely, but I don't know. I mean, it's just... For me, it's just so much easier and, and, and safer to do it in surgery. And so I'm, I'm pretty reluctant these days to do, do that anymore. I did it for a short time and, the, you know. Like just watching, like having watched the liposuction, like the process of it. Yeah. I would not want to be awake. No, I, I wouldn't either. It I is mean, so aggressive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, if it's done right, I mean, if you want to do like a, you know, a half job, I guess you could just do a little bit. But I mean, if someone's paying the money, like do the job right. Yeah. And that's where you gotta really kind of get after people. And then you can bump into these issues of either their comfort or you're using too much local. So yeah, after doing a little bit of research on lunchtime liposuction, you know, I said, is it glam or is it scam? I, I think it's a scam. I, I personally wouldn't let any family member of mine, you know, do yeah, that. Yeah, we like nighttime. Yeah, I mean, if you wanna go and do like a non-liposuction fat removal, which that wouldn't be liposuction, it'd be yeah, like, like lunchtime yeah, the treatment. Yeah, the stuff that's you're talking thing. about. Yeah. yeah, you know, because those actually, some of those things work fairly well. Which They're, one works the best, do you think? You know, I had a cool sculpting machine. you wanted to do lunchtime, I had a cool sculpting whatever. machine and I quit using it because one, I didn't like their business model, but two, we, we had a fair number of people that would get it done and they were just like, eh, I don't know if the results are worth it. So, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about got, getting an M-Sculpt Neo machine, which is the radio frequency lipolysis. And that's the one too that also like builds your muscle. Like you literally, oh, you would love this. So this machine, you can literally get a six pack or like big guns just from using this machine. Cause is when, it is like a high tech, like tens unit or yes, something? Yes, yes. So it has radio frequency, but it also stimulates your muscles. Like you can slap that thing on, never work out and like have like a six pack and like huge guns. It's crazy. I've actually used it when they came and they, they brought one of the machines to my office and I did a full treatment on my abs. I mean, the thing is like working out, like you say you're not working out, but you're like, <laughs> like it's, it's pretty intense, but yeah, I've been thinking about getting one of those machines. I haven't done it yet just cause I, you know, I have a lot going on, but it's been in the back of my mind. So, nice. so anyway, lunchtime liposuction, be wary. I mean, be wary of anything that's gimmicky, you know, anything that's trying to trick you into coming to have a procedure or surgery, just find somebody that you trust somebody that's going to go over all the details with you and just don't be conned and do anything so yes so i'm gonna i'm gonna give life lunch on life perception thumbs down so yeah we don't like not it. a favor of that so okay talking about surgery so uh i really liked the other week whenever we did the uh little case and so i, yeah. I did another cool case uh and i thought i people generally like to see surgery stuff so this is our trigger warning this segment does have surgery in it and it's it's fairly graphic i mean not crazy graphic but i'm just warning you if you don't like to see stuff 
then maybe don't watch this segment. All right, you've been fair warned. Okay, so uh, this is a fixing of a sternal wound. So when people have cardiac surgery to get to the heart, they have to open the sternum, which is your breastbone, mm -hmm. okay? And they open up the sternum, they split it apart, they do the work on the heart, and then what they do is they sew the sternum back together, usually with big wires. They don't even use suture, it's wire. And then they want those bones to fuse back together, and then they close the soft tissue and the skin over the top. And generally, everything goes pretty mm, well. They leave the wires in there, right? They leave the wires yeah. in there, yeah. That's like a, it's almost like getting like a, if you get a fracture and you get like a, like a plate or like a rod in your bone, okay. they just leave it in, yep. But not every time does everything heal well. And so there's a stated risk of one to 5% of having some sort of breakdown of that incision. And that breakdown could be just the soft tissue, or it actually could be a breakdown of the sternal bone itself. And in the worst case scenario, you can actually see the heart. And I, and I have I have two cases I'm gonna to show today. And, and thank you to the patients that agreed to let me use that, use their, their, uh, their images. I do appreciate that. Um, so in general, the cardiac surgeons do a good job, but they do a lot of surgery, and because there's a stated risk that some of these are going to have issues, there, I do get a steady trickle of patients that have sternal wounds. Um, so I want to kind of go over a case that I recently did. Oh, and um, so how you fix these? Well, the, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to put tissue into the space where everything's broken down. And so I got the little graphic, uh, Trell, to show that first one. And I want to show where the pectoralis muscles are, because this is going to become important in a minute. You got that first. Yeah. So. This is a little graphic I got from Body Works Prime. There's a little web address there if you want to check them out. So that's the pectoralis muscle. And I have to say it's not the greatest drawing the pectoralis muscle. I've, it doesn't look exactly like that, but you get the idea. There's a muscle on each side. It connects to the breastbone as well as the clavicle, which is your collarbone. And you can see that there's a space in between. And that space is the sternum, which is they also call the manubrium. It's your breastbone. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you got to remember that. Okay. So the first patient I got is a, a very nice gentleman that had cardiac surgery. Um, he had it like over a year ago and he had some issues with healing and things started to break down and that's what he looked like when I saw him. Now the arrows that I have there, okay, so his head's up and to the left, his feet are down and to the right. And that big wound is actually the, the opening, obviously, but those arrows are pointing to exposed bone. And when you have exposed bone, that's a problem because one, it's, it's hard to get tissue to grow over bone that he was going to a wound clinic somewhere and they were, they were trying to get this to heal and they weren't having any luck. And it's not surprising because the bone was exposed and that always you know, ends up being problems. The other thing it signifies is that this is a deep wound. It's kind of hard to tell from the picture, but this wound is not shallow. You couldn't just pull that skin together. I don't think it's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty deep. Okay, yeah, you're right. So you, know, you might look at this and be like, okay, why don't you just pull the skin together? Well, if you do that, the skin will be over an open space, which never works. If, if you have skin pulled together over an empty space, it always, always, always goes bad. Either mm -hmm. it fills up with the fluid and gets infection, or um, it will uh, just break down because there's just not any solid base behind yeah. that skin. So what you have to do in this situation is one, you have to cut out the entire wound. So you're gonna make this wound a lot bigger. And then you're going to get those pectoralis muscles. Remember, those muscles come really close to the center of the chest. Yeah. And what you can do is you can actually free them up from where they're attached to the sternum, free them up going to the outsides, and then pull them into the middle to fill that space. All right, okay. so next picture, Travis. And that's exactly what it is. So in this picture, his head's towards the left, his feet are towards the right. And you see, I've made the wound a lot bigger in order to dig out those muscles. And you can see now those muscles, which in that graphic we showed were separated, they are now sewed together and covering 
that space where the bone was. And of course, I cleaned the bone really good. I cleaned the entire wound. In fact, I cut the entire wound out to get to a fresh edge. But I have now pulled those muscles to fill that big empty space where the wound initially was. Those two little white things are drain tubes, which collect fluid. Yeah, I was And then once was. you do that <laughs> and you get a good coverage, then you can Put pull the skin back together. So show that next picture, Travis. Yeah, there you go. So that's the patient after I got done with him. He had that wound for an entire year. Was at a wound clinic where they were, I don't know what they were doing. Uh, and I saw the guy and within two weeks, I had him completely closed up. I've now seen him a couple times. He's doing great. Everything is, is hunky-dory. So this is kind of a classic closure of a sternal wound. Now, I will say that one was pretty simple, okay? Because you notice the bone, well, you, I don't know, it may be hard for you to notice, but there was no second gap where the sternum had separated. The sternum actually healed, but he'd had some infections. Mm -hmm. And so the soft tissue basically got all eroded over the top of it, but the bone was intact. Now, you don't always get these easy ones. Sometimes you get the really hard ones. And I'm, I'm gonna have Travis in a minute show a video of one of the hardest ones I ever did. This is a patient that when things started breaking down, the actual breastbone broke apart and then a lot of it disintegrated. And literally, while she was wide awake, you could look into her wound and see her heart beating. And we're gonna look at that in just a minute. And so when you have one that that's complex, you can't just pull the muscles together because there's a further cavern down there. It's not just the first cavern, there's a second cavern that you have to deal with. So in this scenario, what I did is I took a muscle from the abdomen, one of your, one of your ab muscles, the rectus, yes. right? And at this point, you know, sorry, you're only gonna have one ab. Uh, I, I dissected that muscle out. I laid that over the heart, sewed it in place. And then I pulled, just like in the first surgery, the pectoralis muscles over that mm -hmm. to cover everything up. And then I closed the skin. So once again, trigger warning, you're about to see a heart. So if you don't wanna see that stuff, then turn this off. All right, Charles, roll that video. So this is a patient who had cardiac surgery and due to her medical condition, she had breakdown of her womb with separation of her sternum. So here we have the right ventricle of the heart that's exposed. So to fix that, we'll take a muscle from the abdominal area to cover the heart and move her pectoralis muscles to cover up the rest of the wound and close her skin. So this is the uh, rectus muscle. This is the muscle from the abdomen. We're gonna lay this down over to cover up the heart. So here we have put the muscle over the separation in the sternum and the heart is now completely covered with a nice vascular layer of muscle. So here we got both pectoralis muscles over the sternal wound. So we got a nice vascular bed for the base of our wound. And now we'll close the skin. So when we started this case, she had an open wound of her sternum with her heart exposed. We put a muscle from her abdomen here, pulled her chest muscles together, and then closed the skin, and now her problem is completely gone. Yeah. That's intense. It's like you know what you're doing or something. It's almost like I know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> Sarah, thank you, Sarah. That makes me feel good. But yeah, so that's a pretty Gosh. big one. Um, that'd, be, that'd be one of the most complex sternal wounds you could find because, uh, yeah. you know, you'd need three muscles to... To close it up but it's kind of cool right because most people looked at that most you know a good plastic surgeon would know what to do but 99 percent of doctors look at that and be like i have no clue what to do with this i mean the heart's exposed that can't be right this lady's running around like wide awake with her heart you know exposed in the base of this wound. you're like good for you you're alive still yeah uh, <laughs> instill a lot of confidence if i go to the doctor with it and he like you know what I'm not sure what to do with this. <laughs> He'll be like, I know this guy, though. He does some wild stuff, man. Let me hook you up. Let me phone a friend. Yeah, phone a friend, right? Yeah, we let do me, that all the time. Let me recommend you something. Yeah. 
So those are, those are fairly common. I do sternal wound closure. Um, I probably do one every other month. I'll probably do five or six a year. I mean, my, one of my best friends in high school, uh, well, throughout my entire childhood, her dad had open heart surgery yeah. and had a wound care, like his whatever got infected and uh -huh. he had a nurse that had to come over every day. Yeah to clean it. So did it heal without surgery? Yes. It did. Okay, that's good. But so that I means remember like when we were yeah. little. How long did it would, take? I don't remember, don't remember but yeah. when we were little, we would see the nurse there uh -huh. and like, it was just disgusting. Like whenever we needed <laughs> to get just... out, like whenever whenever we were like, she, he would be sitting in the living room, like on like one of those big, like right. nice chairs. Yeah. And we'd be like, we want like Cheez-Its or something or goldfish. And we'd like dash Run across, by dash to across. It. Cause she'd be there for like hours, just oh, like wow. cleaning. Yeah, that's intense. I don't know. It Which was. I had to go for some cheeses. Like, yeah, I know. I know. That's, but that's, we thought it was kind of dangerous. funny. I mean, not the situation was funny, but like yeah. us just being like stealthy. Yeah. I guess. You're but that. That's funny. I did not want to look at it because yeah. I saw a Did that video it. like kind of mess you up or? No. I, for some reason, I was like, I swear I thought his heart was just like out, like beating like that woman's. Yeah. I swear. Probably it was. not because there's no way you could heal that. It would just looked surgery. gross. There's no way you could heal it without surgery. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it was just, you remember things as a kid, and ugh. it seemed like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. Crazy. I think that's all the time we got for this week. Uh, <laughs> if you uh, you want us to, to talk about any topics or any surgeries, please leave us a comment. Also, hit that like and subscribe button. It really does help us. We'll see you next week on Nip Talk.